Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice, which we've been doing for two years now. Wow, that's awesome. I like have this smile on my face. I'm so Mm -hmm. excited to be back Um, each week over two years. Wow. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Damien, you are up this week in our first episode of 2023. Yes, sir. Uh, so what are you bringing to the table today? Absolutely. Well, first of all, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy Thanks for New coming Year. back. I feel like I can't, I don't need to say Happy New Year to you since I've seen you. Yeah. Many, many yeah, yeah. times. <laughs> no, I'm just talking to the, the listeners. Uh, okay. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to be bringing our first piece of media to the table Uh, This year, um, it is a report called Criminalizing Blackness, an analysis of the impacts of the 1994 crime bill and the 1996 immigration bill on black people and policy recommendations to address the harms caused. So Mm -hmm. a whopper of a title, uh, but a good one. It's a report that was produced and published by the Movement for Black Lives, and they worked with a number of different organizations, um, including UndocuBlack, the Black Alliance for Just Immigration, and Law for Black Lives. So um, I sort of thought going into this that this was going to be a great piece, uh, just given the incredible organizations that teamed up to to write this thing. Yeah. Um, and I think I was pretty right. Like, I think this report was both sort of this con- a concise, but at the same time, really thorough examination of the, the impact of these bills that I mentioned from the title on our country's criminal punishment system, on black people in general, um, certainly on immigration and sort of how that unfolded. Um, and certainly on the, I think, the resurgence of anti-blackness in in the country. And um, they really backed up this work with a lot of history and data and, and actions taken at all levels of our government and our society, which I think made this uh, so much even more compelling uh, yeah. to me. So um, I definitely learned a lot from this report and and uh, was excited to dig into it. And I'm, you know, looking forward to chatting with you, my friend. Yeah. So yeah, what were your first impressions of this? Yeah, I really appreciated it. I thought it got into a lot of the details um, about the impact of the 94 crime bill and, and immigration reforms that were implemented in the 90s yep. um, and how they really radically altered the course of immigration and how we view crime. Yes. Uh, in this country and, yes. and, and sort of how we respond to the things that we decide to call crime. Um, I think there's a lot of depth here, but I also there were a couple moments um, throughout that I, I wish they had included a little bit more information. Mm. Um, so for one example was there's a moment where they're talking about um, stereotypes around black people and um sort of people of color broadly yeah. uh, and the assumption of drug use um, in those groups. Uh, but they don't give much information about the falseness of that claim. Yeah. Right? Like it's in um, discussion around how policing happens, um, particularly with sort of charges in those kind of areas. Right. Um, uh, and so there's just a couple moments like that where it's like uh, a little bit more background That's here a would good be point. helpful. Yeah. Uh, but on the whole, 
um, the way they went through the history of these acts and the impact of them is really r- remarkable and really helpful and educational and eye-opening. Um, and I knew a little bit about these laws right? Um, yep. and their impact, but this really expanded my sense of understanding about them both um, and how they continue to influence you know, the world around us today. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... I, I agree. I had, um, you know, a baseline understanding of these because we were yeah. children when these were mm-hmm. uh, laws were enacted. Right. I was in elementary school um, when when both of these were were passed or and maybe the start of middle school. So um, I have some awareness of them. Right. And, and knew what they meant. But to really sort of dive into the the impact of these bills yep. um, uh, ever since then uh, is kind of wild, I think. Um the thing that this report really makes clear uh, that I wanted to talk about here is just the tremendous impact that that 94 crime bill had and has had on this country. Right. And Mm -hmm. like, I think, you know, it has continued to play a role and have an impact on our society to this day. So certainly it influenced the the creation of the 96 immigration laws that we see, but um, it has had such even more of a far reaching impact than that. Um, I think just, a lot of sort of um, devastating impacts to communities and and families of color, Um, you know, the ongoing criminalization of black and brown people. Um, They really spent a lot of time talking about the the rise of the reliance on mass incarceration, right? And we have talked about that here on the show too. the, the school to prison pipeline, right? Like in its yeah. expansion and, and sort of how, you know, schools are, were used and, and to this day are still used in that. Um, and we talk a lot about money, right? Billions mm-hmm. of dollars mm-hmm. being spent on policing and the criminal punishment system as a result yeah. of this. Right. And so, you know, all of these things I feel like are things we've talked about on the podcast. Um, and uh, you know, they've often been veiled as or, or outrightly justified, you know, as all for, you know, quote unquote public safety. But, right. You know, they've obviously been anything but right. Yeah. And I think that the um, I, one of the things that, I, that I, I'm trying to do with this report, too, is like look at it as, oh, it's connected to these other pieces where it's not necessarily directly connected, but like it's, it's a part of a constellation of things that are happening. Yes. Um, and I think that this. Um, uh, you know, some of the other abolitionist things that we've read have talked about how these things don't create public safety. Yes. Um, and they don't create um, a sense of, of security for, for uh, most people. Yeah. Um, and, and the harm yeah. that they do. Really. Yeah. That's, yeah. Right. And um, so, yeah, all of that I think is, is sort of present here. Um, and so you mentioned the prison school to prison pipeline, and that's one of the pieces that really stuck out to me um, was the way that the crime bill specifically expanded the way that this operates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the report says it quote fueled the school to prison pipeline by using grant programs as incentives to expand school policing programs, invasive surveillance, and security technology, and it goes on. Um, from there to list the variety of cops and schools programs that the bill created uh, and funded and talks about how it allowed 13-year-olds to be tried as adults, which, uh, quote, created 60 new death penalty offenses, Mm. uh, established new and increased criminal penalties for immigration violations while simultaneously adding dozens of new federal offenses. Um, So just on its face, like the, the expansion of the possibility of the death penalty, 
um, is really eye-opening. Uh, the way that we are just treating people, like, yes. the, the, you know, we're adding more people to this process that we throw people away in, yes. right? So, um, you know, the system, we essentially choose to get rid of people. We throw them away. We put them in jail. Um, we find 60 new ways to um, kill people uh, for the state to do that. And um, we decide to include 13-year-olds in that as well, like as a, yeah. as a byproduct of this. And it just... It's all very like looking back on it now. It's all very bizarre, like right? Why, why? Why are these the choices that had to be made? What you know? Um, and I know that there's uh, anecdotal. Like I remember there being sort of more of an emphasis on sort of crime that was happening, but you know we're also in the midst of continuing um, declines in crime, like historic yes. historic levels. Yes. Um, and that was also true. It was declining when these were passed, I believe, too. Like that trend is like 40-something, 50 years old. Years old at this so, point, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, like it's just, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's astounding like what this bill has done, particularly, you know, most of what I was talking about was around kids and, yeah. and school-to-prison pipeline. Right, like this idea of 13-year-olds. And I, 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 it's really hard to fathom the idea of like, you know, us as a society being able to collectively look ourselves in the mirror and think about the idea that we're talking about 13 year olds in this sense, right. in this sense, or, you know, this idea of creating 60 new death penalty offenses. Like I don't, I, I don't understand that. Like, I don't right. know. And I just, I'm not a believer in the death penalty. So, you know, <laughs> there's that piece that I want to own. Right. But I right. don't understand um, how we justified that. Right. Mm -hmm. And how that was seemingly okay for folks um, across the board and, and what that did, um, to our society. I, it's, it's, it's unfathomable really. Right. Um, so I'm glad you, you called that out because that just has, you know, to my point earlier about having a real impact on communities and families, particularly communities and families of color, right. And when we're talking about children, like it's right there. I think the sort of connection of this or sort of the the catalyst of this moving forward from the 94 crime bill, you know, it, 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 it spawned, uh, you know, or it helped create the, the immigration laws we see in 96. And mm -hmm. one of the things that really stood out to me that was so fascinating from this report and, and to reflect on was this, you know, quote unquote, good versus bad immigrant narrative, right? right? Uh, that was sort of amplified by these laws that were established in 96. And, and I think, and related to what you just talked about, like how they were used to justify the country's actions against immigrants mm. and also everyday people's actions as well. Right. Yeah. Like it really changed the landscape, I think, and made it easier for truly awful things to be said about immigrants to happen, to be done to immigrants. Right. Um, which, you know, is obviously shameful on so many levels, but I really appreciated how this report named and, and connected this narrative to what it is, which is white supremacy, right? Yeah. Uh, because I think, and that's important to me, as we talked about here before, like we have to sort of name and call out white supremacy when we see it. I pulled a quote about this from the report. It said, the good versus bad immigrant narrative is a white supremacist narrative that conflates morality with citizenship. It disregards the fact that the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act and the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act, commonly known as the 1996 immigration laws, 
leave black immigrants in the country legally vulnerable to possible deportation and has significantly increased the criminalization of black migrants. Without the 1996 immigration laws, the bad immigrant trope would be empty rhetoric, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I obviously think some of the momentum of white supremacy and, and anti-blackness may have still brought us to this place of how immigrants are treated in this country, right? Yeah. And it, especially then, but even we see that now, right? But it, it makes me wonder what may have happened if these immigration laws in 96 and, and of course, the preceding 94 crime bill never existed, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the report does go into all these ways that the these this this collection of laws changed radically altered what how we view immigration how yes. we um you know respond to crime um and um yeah it's it's interesting to think about like what would have happened instead um or like wh- where we would be with without that um yeah, it's hard to parse out like what that might look like yeah. and, and what would have happened, especially because thinking about, okay, so this was passed in 94, 96. In 96, um, the the Republicans and Newt Gingrich took over the House. So like yeah. what would these things look like with a fully Republican-controlled Congress? That's a good um, point. As well, who were sort of, I think, even more... Um, loud about responding uh with an iron fist to what yes. was what was seen as crime in the time so it's yeah that's interesting to, to like sort of think about right um yeah it's also interesting to think about it as just an evolution of like black codes oh right? gosh. like it yeah and yeah the way that that it was well we're gonna say that these are manifestations of some form of pathology in black communities and uh, immigrant communities and then we're going to create laws that then like we're associating with like it's it's all sort of a repetition of that era as well absolutely um so yeah well so talking about immigrants i wanted to talk about the uh, illegal immigration reform and immigrant responsibility act as you mentioned earlier yeah um and the, the report outlines six specific ways that this law influenced immigrant uh, interaction with the criminal punishment system. Yes. Um, so I wanted to share those because I think that they they get to your point about how these laws change so much right. about um, you know the world around us. Good. Um, so I'm going to list them all, all six of them here. Um, so one, it expanded the criminal grounds for deportation. Uh, Two, there was funding to classify and identify criminal enforcement priorities. Three, it founded the removal process uh, and limited discretionary relief from uh, from removal. So it was basically fast-tracking deportation. Right. Um, Four, it mandated detention of immigrants who have been ordered, quote, removed. Um, Five, it removed the right to due process. Um, so it denied non-citizens the right to come before an immigration judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and six, it authorized formal cooperative agreements that directly involve state and local law enforcement. Mm. Um, so that would be something like ICE working with a local police yes. department. Yes. Um, so that's those are the six major things that it did that increase sort of how we criminalize what immigration is right um and there was a, a moment in the report that i highlighted and then forgot to inc- 
include um, f- in my notes. Um, but it, it it talked about how it completely changed um, how non-citizens but residents like permanent residents, permanent residents interacted yes. with immigration as a Absolutely. process as well um so this was it, it was um looking back on it now it's a very radical set of laws and policies mm-hmm. that fundamentally changed what it is the the immigration system is yes um and i think you know um it's created a lot of impact um and created some of the conditions that have been super public recently mm. for us, right? Yeah. Both in the so-called border crisis, uh, which you know it should be probably more addressed through a lens of humanitarianism, yes. um, due to the way that the U.S. we have created some of these crises that people are now fleeing from, and Correct. then um, arriving at the so-called border crisis uh, in hopes of relief from those crises. Um, so. That's one of them. And then another is the detention facilities that are still operating under Biden, uh, Mm. but came into very um, broad attention under Trump. And so when you narrow down to such fine margins, who is considered acceptable Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of immigration and who is not considered acceptable, um, you create the opportunity for state violence like these detention centers, like these um, over-policed borders that we, we now have. Absolutely. Well, and it's it's really fascinating to think about, you know, the the broad impact of these six ways that this law influence, you know, our interactions yep. and our work with immigrants and really thinking about um, just the idea of the access to rights. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lack thereof access to rights uh, and just the uh, the disposability of of folks living here in this country. Um, but as you say, I love that point around um, the, the long lasting impact of this law, yeah. um, of these laws now um, to this day, right? Um, mm-hmm. Especially uh, with the border crisis, as you mentioned, and, and these facilities that are still running, that are still operating. Yep. They absolutely are, right? Yeah. And so um, we can track that right on back to, to these laws, which is just uh, crazy to think about. Absolutely. Um, well, I think this is a good part here to, to transition and shift our conversation to application. Mm-hmm. Like, how are we going to take what we've learned from this report and apply it to our daily lives, our everyday work? Um, you know, to the point that you just made, I, I, I couldn't help not be compelled by the humanity of the situation that was created out of the 94 crime bill. Um and, and what it did to make it easier for this country to deport immigrants without green cards, right? Um, and yeah. for the 94 crime bill and all of the anti-blackness it amplified to be the catalyst for um, the immigration bills that we see, right? And, mm. and, and the conditions in which uh, folks have had to live in in this country. Um, you know, I think the, you know, you have this original bill that criminalize simply living and being and existing as a black or brown person in this country that um, that really disregarded the humanity of black and brown people in this country. Yeah. Um, and and then from that came a new, I think, an even more insidious level of disregard and degradation for black and brown immigrants. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes me want to compel us to think about and to always consider the full extent and the full possibilities of the harm that can come from policies and legislation and and even rhetoric, right? We've talked about 
the the power of language and rhetoric here on the show yeah. before, right? Yeah. Um, so things that maybe on the surface we can see, where we can easily see the who, the what, the how of the evil uh, that exists within it um, and its impact. But I think we also have to always ask, you know, who else and what else and how else might this have an impact and, and do harm, right? And for how long and at what cost, right? Um, I think these bills are a case study in how long laws and policies can have an impact right on our society. So mm. I think we have mm. to do everything we can to make sure that these kinds of things don't continue to be created and be implemented and, and exist, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also like when you discover that harm is 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 happening because of these policies, how quickly can you then react Ooh. to address the harm yes. and to fix and, it yes. um, so that it's not consistently happening? And that, you know, I can't think of an example when something like that has happened in recent times at yeah. least. Um, so, right. uh, and, you know, there's, I think, a level of dysfunction of government that is is also happening in that too, where it's like, well, one side is like, nah, we don't want to do anything with that. So it's fine. And, right. Yeah. Um, and that know. to me, I think, speaks to the idea of why we believe in abolition, why we believe in the idea of restorative justice, right? Because mm. you see mm -hmm. that as, a, as an outcome of restorative justice, right? But sure. do we see it here and at the... At the federal level, at our right. law, no, we don't. So that's a great point. Yeah, um, yeah. So my application for this week is that we consider what is actually a crime. Ah, okay. Um, you Same know, one. we're talking about the crime bill. Um, <laughs> the government chooses what's considered a crime. The government chooses what crime, uh, which crime to focus punishment on, and which communities to focus on um, for enforcement of those crimes. The enforcement of possession of drugs for instance, yeah. is emphasized way over financial crimes. Oh, yeah. So uh, wage theft is an example of that, which, according to the Economic Policy Institute, is employers' failure to pay workers money they are legally entitled to. Jeez. So this is more common. It's more common at a rate of three times robberies. Wow. In terms of value. Wow. At least. Um, Man. And it's hardly ever prosecuted. Well, yeah. Right. Okay. In the same way that like a regular robbery or theft might be. Um, so, right. Like the, the financial impact on people mm -hmm. is far greater from wage theft than from theft robberies. Um, but wow. what are we, what are we prosecuting? What are we focusing yeah, on? What right. Are we focusing so like, on? Yeah. that's, that's an example of how I, I, my application is like how we think about crime is socially created, yes, right? Like how we think about what um, is immoral is is socially created, and, and then we tie that to criminality. Um, so you know, if we choose what we focus on, we also choose what we look away from. Yes, um, and we have to come to terms with that, especially in the context of how we criminalize communities. Um, we have to push for different conditions um, to create different outcomes because if you're under constant surveillance, which is a part of this over-policing, it's a part of this emphasis on specific crimes, it's a part of the sort of continued evolution of what the crime bill established, there it is. you create these psychological conditions for people that create a constant stress, constant uneasiness um, because somebody's always watching yes. what you're doing, um, which just isn't 
I don't think it's good for people individually. It's not good for communities. Right. Um, and so I, those are all pieces of like how we consider what a crime is and then what we do with what we think a crime might be. Yes. Um, so that's my application that sort of evolved out of thinking about these three bill, this report and how it analyzed these three bills. Um, yeah. That's fascinating. That's great. I mean, I think it also, um, you know, just to add on to what you said there, like, um, this idea of it also creates the conditions with which in which we, uh, over the course of time have accepted, as you say, what is a crime, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, we've accepted that, right? Because Mm -hmm. it has been ingrained in us since the dawn of time, right? This anti-blackness, this focus on, um, criminalization of folks who are different, who are othered. Um, right. And so I love that. Mm. I love that. Very good. Um, all right, well, let's shift and talk about homework, right? What do we want to do after we leave this table today? Um, I want to spend some more time with, uh, this report was broken up into various sections. Uh, section four of this report focused on policy solutions, And I think they did a great job in highlighting potential policy solutions at the federal, at the state, and at the local levels. Um, And so that encourages me to want to sort of dig into these a bit more and to see where my elected officials, our elected officials, um, stand as it relates to some of these, right? Like, what have they publicly said about these potential solutions uh, and where they lie in terms of their support for them, right? And Mm -hmm. so some of the things that were highlighted um, were things like community-controlled public safety initiatives and harm, true harm reduction services, um, you know, eliminating contracts with ICE, right? Not sharing people's information with ICE yeah. um, and sort of overarching immigration reform, right? Um, drug laws and sentencing, right? And, and just so much more. So I, I want to spend some more time with that part of the report and then, you know, do some comparison work, do some research to figure mm-hmm. out um, where our folks stand on these issues, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What do you no, think? Uh, agreed. I, that was where my my head went to when I thought about homework is nice. to spend a little bit more time with the policy proposals and sort of what the solutions might be. Um, and there are a lot of great suggestions, as you said, on the federal, state, and local level. Um, and sort of one I wanted to shout out here is at the local level, uh, which is, quote, municipalities should divest from traditional uniform policing and invest in programs that have been shown to produce real public safety, including jobs, vocational training, access to mental health and harm reduction services, and educational resources. Yes. Um, and so that reflects a lot of the abolitionist um literature, the books, the articles, uh, the reports that we've been reading over the last couple of years. Um, And I think um, looking at more of these policy proposals, and I I love the idea of comparing it to like where our local officials um, are on these things, but just sort of considering how to, how do you, how do we implement them? Right. Where do they fit in? How does that work? Um, Are there more details to some of these um, proposals that we could explore too? just like sort of learning more about it all broadly? Very good. I love it. I love when the homework aligns. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My man. Uh, All right, my friend. Well, you are up next time. What are you bringing to the table for our next episode? Yeah, so I'm bringing a documentary from 2018 called King in the Wilderness. Um, So it's about the last few years of Dr. King's life. Uh, It's told through the personal stories of the people around him. And there's some archival footage um, of Dr. King himself. Um, 
we're actually recording this, talking right now on MLK Day, so it seems fitting to bring something um, about uh, the man himself um, for our next episode. Absolutely. I yeah. love that. I've heard about this documentary, but haven't had a chance to watch it, um, mm-hmm. even though it came out a few years ago. So yeah. uh, I'm excited about getting to watch it and and always learning more about Dr. King and, and his work and his actions and uh, you know how they can influence the work that we continue to do and the ways in which we think about the work that we need to do yeah. uh, today. So. Yeah, Very definitely. cool. And if folks want to join in on our conversation, you can watch it on HBO Max. There um, we go. Before we release the episode. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. Uh, you know what we're going to ask you to do, but it's been a minute, so mm-hmm. you may have forgotten. Uh, we want you to follow us, leave a rating and review of our podcast, share it with everyone you know. Follow us on social media. Sign up for our email list to get notified about all the things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to this, our first episode in 2023. Um, We got a lot of fun stuff in store for you all this year, I think. Um, And remember, uh, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week. Mm